You guys can have a seat. Last year on Mother's Day, I preached a sermon from Psalm 127, uh, and it was titled, Why Children Are Important at Crossroads. And I kind of view that sermon kind of as a kind of a one-time vision statement for what we want at our church regarding families. And I would encourage you guys all to listen to it. I think it, in 30 minutes, captures uh, what I hope is our dream for uh, children and families in our church. And uh, the sermon, it was based on Psalm 127. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And in that sermon, I preached and I talked about the value of children and how they're a blessing and how we should have children and how we should honor our children and teach our children to love God. And the very next day, I came home from the office and my wife informed me that she was pregnant and that we would be having another child. Um, so now we had two children on Mother's Day last year and we now have three. That was unplanned. And uh, I just look back on it and I don't know if there's something supernatural about Mother's Day, if there's some like Freaky Friday thing or like something magical, but I know that last Mother's Day I preached on kids and the very next day God multiplied the number of children in my family. So this Mother's Day, I'm going to preach on money, okay? Um, <laughs> Not really, um, but today is Mother's Day, and today it's not money that I want to talk about, it's Jesus, because if there is anything that I want more of for myself and for my family and for you and for this church, it's that we would experience more of Jesus, and we are in the middle of studying just a study on the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And today I want to talk about this idea of what it means to be hidden in Christ. The last three weeks or so, Brian Mueller and I and Andrew Bentley and I, we've all been reading a book called Union with Christ by a guy named Rankin Wilburn together. And it's on this idea of what does it mean to be hidden in Christ. And it's blessed me tremendously, a book I recommend but today I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3, and I want us to consider what it means to be hidden in Christ, what that means for our lives. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and if you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, listen, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And here's one of the first things I want us to see this morning, and it's the thing that Paul is reminding this church in this letter to the Colossians, and that is that as the people of God, the thing that marks our identity more than anything else on this planet is that we are hidden in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul says, I'm writing this letter to show you, to, to convince you that you are hidden in Christ. For, your, for you have died if you're a follower of Jesus and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And Paul, these aren't just throwaway words here. Often you hear, you read through the Bible, you read through Paul's letters, and he's often very poetic. And you hear things like, you're hidden in Christ, or in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it's easy to pass over these phrases because we think they're just kind of poetic, and Paul's just a good author, and he's giving us good sentences. To, but these are deeply theological statements. And in the Apostle Paul, if you read his letters, which is the bulk of the New Testament, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Often he uses all sorts of metaphors to explain what it means to be saved by God. And he uses, in Galatians, he uses the metaphor of you've been adopted into the family. Often he says you've been saved, you've been rescued. Other times he says you're like a captive who's been set free. Other times he says you're lost, but through Christ you've been found. But the metaphor that Paul uses in every single one of his letters, and he uses multiple times, is this idea that we are hidden in Christ. One theologian, one Bible teacher says that you can sum up all of the Apostle Paul's theology, and by extension, the theology of the New Testament, into one phrase. And that is that to be a Christian is to be hidden in Christ. In Christ. It's a phrase that's easy to gloss over. It sounds so spiritual. It sounds so poetic. But if we don't take time to stop and think about it, we will miss the weight and the beauty of such a theological truth. We are in Christ. Um, if you often, if you've ever been, when you go outside the city, one of my like traditions when I'm outside the city, they're in Jersey everywhere, is go to a Cracker Barrel. You know, when you're on a road trip, if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, you know what I'm talking about. It's uh, these incredible, just home-cooked food. And, and while you wait for your food, there's like you can shop. And it's all a bunch of trinkets that you don't need. But often you see these things are called Russian nesting dolls. You guys know what a Russian nesting doll is? It's a big doll, and it looks like I don't, Russian, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> And then you open the doll, it opens at the middle, and you open it, and then there's another doll on the inside, and then you open that doll, there's another doll on the inside of it, and then on and on and on and on and on until it's tiny. And this is kind of the image Paul is giving us. You're hidden in Christ. There's Christ, and you're in Him. So when you look at those nesting dolls, you just see like a big trinket. But often you don't realize that inside there's all these other things that are happening. And here's why this is so beautiful. We're covered by Jesus. And this is why this is so incredible and such a profound truth for us. It's because the Bible teaches us that we don't have to look impressive to God for Him to love us. See, I've talked to so many people who their greatest barrier to following God is that they think that God can never love them. I talk to people all the time. This is what, usually what happens when I'm out in the neighborhood at the coffee shop or wherever, the library, and someone says, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, here we go. One of two things happens. I say, well, I'm a pastor of a Christian church. That means either the conversation shuts down immediately, um, or I usually get to hear people's disappointment with God or with the church. And they, oftentimes they sort of view me as a sounding board for all their fears and just all of this. And so I hear, and one of the things people often tell me is they say, I can never be a Christian or I could never be of any faith because I don't think God could love me because I don't think I measure up. And that God can never be impressed with me. God can never like me. 
And what Paul is trying to say, though, is that you're hidden in Christ. He's saying that you don't have to impress God because Jesus has already done that. See, Jesus came into this world. I'm about to explain what hidden with Christ means. Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfect life, the life that we wish we could live, but we know intuitively that we have failed on a number of occasions. He was always compassionate. He was never selfish. He was always kind. He was never rude. Jesus was always gracious. He never harbored bitterness. He was always forgiving. He was never jealous. He was always generous. He was never greedy. He was always wise. He was never foolish. He was always thoughtful. He was never self-centered. Jesus never laid in bed at night feeling guilty for something he had done that day. Unlike every single one of us where we've all experienced that. Jesus has never felt shame because he's never done anything to be ashamed of. He was always obedient to the Father. He's the only person in this, on, who has ever set foot on this earth who has ever lived his life in such a way that God the Father could look at him and say, I'm impressed with him. But the scriptures teach us that when we trust Jesus, when we confess that he is Lord, the life of Jesus covers us and we are now hidden in him. And what that means is that God the Father, God the Judge, looks at us. If we've given our lives to Jesus, that means that when God the Father and God the Judge looks at us, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our shame. He sees Jesus. We're like a little Russian nesting doll. We're hidden in Jesus. And God says, wow. Look at that. Look at Will. He doesn't see all my mess, all my junk. That's been cleansed, that's been forgiven, and I've been clothed in Christ. So when God the Father looks at me, he says, look at Will. He's kind, he's loving, he's gracious, and he's generous. See, the gospel is that God does not judge us based upon our lives, but he judges us based upon Jesus' life. And what it means to be saved or to become a Christian is to say, I want to be hidden in Christ. And I believe that the love and the life and the mercy and the grace of Jesus can cover all of my sin and my shame. And the good news of this is that means that we no longer have to feel like our lives are an audition. Social media profiles. Instagram, we got to have the perfect picture of our kids. or We got to vacuum before we take that picture of our kids because we don't want anybody to see our messy house. Or we got to take a picture of our food. And, you know, just I'm like, I've been to your house. You don't make that kind of food. We try to present these ideas to the world. We try to show off to the world this fake sense of ourselves because we feel like we're on trial, don't we? We feel like our lives are an audition. We feel like we're constantly trying to earn people's approval, even sometimes trying to earn God's approval. But the message of Jesus is that we can trust that even on our worst and our ugliest, and God forbid, even our most ordinary days. That's what we fear the most in New York as a New Yorker these days. We don't want to be ordinary. But God forbid, even on our most ordinary days, our lives can be overshadowed by the life of Jesus. The life Jesus lived, God can look on us and look on us as if we lived it as well. So we don't have to audition for approval any longer. We can know that we are loved, that we are accepted. And Paul makes the point to remind them, remind the Colossians in this passage of this. You're hidden with Christ. And there are some things that are implications of that. If you're hidden with Christ, what does that mean for you? Here's the first thing that means. It means that your suffering doesn't have to destroy you, but rather it can shape you. Paul says in verse 3, he says, you have, For you have died. You've died to yourself. 
You've sacrificed the old life and you're taking on the new life of Jesus. That feels like a death sometimes. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And one of the things about suffering that I've noticed is as in my just under a decade of pastoral ministry, as I've preached through tons of books of the Bible, I realize whether it's Galatians or Mark or First and Second Samuel or Ecclesiastes or Colossians or whatever book I'm preaching through at this church at any given time, I've found that in the two years that I've been a pastor of this church, the topic I've preached on more than any other topic is suffering. Because it comes up in the scriptures over and over and over and over again. And I wish this wasn't the case. Because I don't like preaching on suffering. I like to tell good jokes and make you guys laugh and leave like encouraged and happy. And I like to be lighthearted. But the Bible speaks constantly about the realities of living in this world. And often it's difficult. Jesus himself said, in this world there will be trouble. But he did say, take heart because I've overcome the world. And whether we like it or not, suffering is one of the greatest tools that God has used throughout history to make Christians more like Jesus. It's one of the means that God uses to make his people holy. And that brings up questions of where does suffering come from? Where does evil come from? Does God actively bring suffering on his people? I don't know. I'm not so sure. But I do know that God uses our suffering, He welcomes it at times, and He allows it to shape us so that we can become more like Him. And this is why I hate the so-called prosperity gospel. You hear this oftentimes. Uh, It's a false gospel that's taught in churches everywhere, even in our city. It's on the televangelism channels everywhere. It's being exported from America all over the world to Africa, to Asia, to South America. And it says that if you love Jesus and if you follow Jesus, that you will never experience pain. You will never experience sorrow. You'll only experience health, wealth, prosperity, and happiness all the days of your life. And if you're not experiencing those things, there must be something weak about your faith. That's the prosperity gospel, and it's no gospel at all. Because it says that suffering has no place in the Christian life. But when I look at Abraham and Moses and Esther and Paul and Peter and Jesus, I see that suffering actually plays a pivotal role in the life of the Christian. John Piper, who I don't quote often, he said, If God had $100, he would give one penny for your health and the rest for your holiness. See, if God gave you every blessing every, and He answered every self-centered prayer that you pray for your own glory, you would never become more like Jesus. You know what you would look like if you, if you got everything you ever prayed for and everything you ever wished for and hoped for? You would look like Veruca Salt. Willy Wonka. The girl who wanted the golden goose, the goose that laid the golden egg. And you remember what a brat she was? Do you remember just how unable she was to see other, to notice other people around her? It was all about her. And if you see God as like a cosmic vending machine, that if I love you, God, you've got to give me everything I want and everything I need and make me happy and healthy and wealthy, then you will become like Veruca Salt. And what you're looking, what you're saying about God is that he's a lot like the spineless father in that movie that just gave in to every whim of his daughter and he was helpless and he was, he was just beaten up by his daughter. But if you are hidden with Christ, what that means, there's no guarantee that you will 
experience prosperity all the days of your life. If you live long enough, you will experience suffering. But what it means to be hidden with Christ means that no matter what pain or what storm comes your way, you are in Christ. And He is protecting you from the winds and the waves overcoming you fully. It will not destroy you. It will shape you. And let me just speak honestly because I know I, know I talk about my son a lot in sermons and I don't want you to think I use my, my special needs son as like fodder for good sermon stories. But I want you to see how I've learned this in my own life. See, my son has cerebral palsy, for those of you who don't know, and it's painful. He's got autism as well, and he's all sorts of health issues, and it's something that I wish wasn't true about my family. But I also know that raising a special needs son that requires constant attention, constant patience, it's something that has made, more than any other thing in my life, it has made me more like Jesus. It has exposed in me the darkness of my own soul. It's exposed my impatience, my self-centeredness. It's made me cling to God and trust Him in ways that I never had imagined. His grace and His trustworthiness has been confirmed in my life throughout these trials. Being a father to a special needs child has taught me to be more compassionate and more empathetic than I ever was before. I see the world through a different set of eyes now. Raising my son has often caused me to slow down. I'm fast. I like to go, go, go and accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And when at all costs, that's, that's, my, that's my personality. But my son, it's caused me to slow down at times, to have to drop to the back of the pack so that I can help those who are at the back of the pack who don't move at the same pace that I do. Often he's taught me how to slow down. And I've had many people say to me <laughs> who knew me beforehand, and I say, Will, you've become a better pastor and a better counselor because you've been through pain. Because you can be empathetic, you can be more compassionate. And often, I've said this before, that our suffering makes us more understanding of others. And I've told you that many times, that maybe the tears that you're crying today, the pain that you're experiencing today, the tears that are streaming down your cheek today are qualifying you to wipe the tears of someone else tomorrow. And see, when I look at the Gospels, I see Jesus loving those with special needs, which is all of us. He's patient with them. He's kind toward them. He understands their disabilities. And I could have read these stories over and over and over again. I could have preached them. I could have studied them. I could have written papers on them. But God knew that it would take me living through it for me to become more like Jesus in this area of my life. And it's not easy. I don't enjoy it. And people say like, you know, people often say like when they go through suffering, they say, yeah, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I would. <laughs> I mean, if I could erase the pain, I would. But I am thankful that God has used even my most painful experiences to make me more like Him. And if you are hidden in Christ, suffering doesn't have to destroy you. It can shape you into the image of Jesus. Hidden with Christ means that you are protected from the crushing waves of pain and suffering. Being in Christ is like being in the safest possible vessel that you can be in when the storms come. Because you are protected from the crushing blows. Because you are safe in Him. Isaiah 43 says that when you pass through the raging waters, I will be with you. 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames, they will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you were precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Hidden with Christ means that our suffering doesn't have to crush us, but rather it can shape us and make us more into the image of the one we're hidden in. Second thing we see... What it means to be hidden in Christ is that wherever Jesus goes, that means we go with Him. It says, when, you are, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's verse 4. When you are hidden in Christ, you go where He goes. And remember, Jesus is a suffering servant, which means that He went to the cross. Meaning that following Jesus may lead you into pain, but it will ultimately lead you to resurrection as well. Matthew 16 says that Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Pick up your cross, follow me, lose your life. This is the call of Jesus. See, to follow Jesus, we may have to pick up a cross. We may have to die to ourselves, our selfishness, our stinginess. But the hope of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, is that even though Jesus laid his life down, three days later he picked it back up. And we may have to lay our lives down to follow Jesus, but the promise of the gospel is that he will give us a new life in its place to pick back up that will be much greater than any life we ever could have imagined. And if we follow Jesus and we lay down our lives, he will give us the fullness of life in its place. And the way this plays out is this. The promise of the scriptures, Jesus often says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. And the promise of the scriptures is that Jesus will one day return soon. And when he does, he will bring his kingdom in its fullness. And in that kingdom, the very presence of suffering will vanish. It will cease and everyone in that moment will worship Jesus as Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord over all things. And Jesus will wipe away every sorrowful tear that you've ever shed and he will put joy and resurrection and tears of happiness in your place. And the bad news is that no sin though can be allowed into that kingdom. Which means that you and I, we don't have the right to access a place like that. If it's, per, if it's God's kingdom where there's no sin or suffering or shame, we can't enter in without having our shame removed or our sin removed. Because we've all sinned. But if we're hidden in Christ, meaning if we, are, if we give our lives to Jesus, lay our lives down and pick His up, it means that your sin has been forgiven. And now when the Father looks at you, He sees Jesus and says, come on into the kingdom, welcome home. And you say, well, I don't know if I quite get that, Will. Um, I'll try, let me try to give you a story that might help you. Several years ago, I went to a Christian conference called the Passion Conference. I was a pastor to college students at the time, and it's a big conference for college students. 70,000 students in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Georgia, where the Atlanta, Haw or Atlanta Falcons used to play. And my, my former college pastor from when I was in college, he was a speaker at the event. And so he was speaking to thousands of college students, 
And one afternoon during the conference, he had some free time. And so he and I were grabbing coffee in the afternoon and we were having a good conversation and we wanted to keep it going. And I said, hey, Matt, would you like to go grab dinner or something? Keep this conversation going. And he said, oh, well, I'd love to have dinner with you, but I can't. He says, the conference is catering dinner for me and some other people. And he said, well, you know what? I'll tell you what, why don't you come with me? And so I go with Matt, my friend, who is a speaker at this conference, and he goes and we walk up to these doors and everybody has lanyards on and they're having to show them before they can enter the doors. And it's, you know, glass windows everywhere. And it's basically like the VIP section and they're catering this nice dinner. And I look through the windows and I see all these really well-known Christian teachers and leaders and Musical artists, I see Louis Giglio, Beth Moore, John Piper, Francis Chan, David Crowder, Chris Tomlin, who made the song we just sang, famous, Good, Good Father. These are all well, very well-known Christian leaders, but I also started to see other people. I was like, that's Carrie Underwood. And they're all, like, the whole Atlanta Hawks team was there. Like, I was like, that's, there's Kyle Corver before he got traded, you know. And there was Tim Tebow was in there. And there were all these celebrities that, you know, were Christians. And I was like, What? This is awesome. What am I? I can't be here. And everybody's got these lanyards on. I don't have a lanyard with my name on it. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't belong here. They won't let me in. I don't deserve to be here. They're going to realize I'm a fraud, that I've never done anything to deserve VIP treatment. But we got to the door and they were checking credentials. And my friend Matt pulls up his lanyard, shows them his lanyard. And they looked at me and he said, oh, he's with me. And they looked at both of us and they said, come on in. See, Matt was the featured guest. He was one of the most important people in the room. And he got in because of his merits. He got in because he was a great speaker and a communicator. And he was asked to be there because of his giftedness and his abilities. But me? (laughs) I'm just me, you know. I hadn't done anything. So in a sense, they didn't look at, I didn't have a lanyard to show. They looked at Matt's. So in a sense, I was hidden in my friend Matt. And how much more so are we hidden in Christ? The kingdom of God, a place where we have no business being, a place of joy and celebration and peace and perfection, we get to enter in. Not because we have a special lanyard that we earned, but because Jesus lived the life we could never live and he died the death we deserved in our place so that he could cover us, so that when he steps up to those pearly gates... The judge looks on him and says, you can come on and anybody with you can come as well because you've paid the price for admission for anybody with you. Where Jesus goes, we go because we're hidden in him. Final thing, you can become, because you're hidden in Christ, you can become what you truly are. See, if you are hidden with Christ, that means that God is honoring his promise to conform you into the image of his son. When the Father looks at you, He sees Jesus. And He has promised that He is making you like Jesus. Imagine that right now you're like a little kid wearing His dad's dress shirt. You're you're wearing your dad's dress shirt, you know, but it's huge, right? And you you know how cute it is when little boys are wearing their dad's shirts or their shoes? And you look so out of place and you don't really, you don't fit in it and you look like you don't deserve to be in it, but it covers you. You're hidden in it, but as you grow as a child, as you drink your milk, 
and eat your Wheaties and your Cheerios and you become strong and healthy and you grow, eventually you'll not look like a child anymore and eventually you'll start to fill that shirt out and one day somebody's going to look at you and say, you look a lot like your father. See, this is the journey of the Christian life. Because of the grace of Jesus, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus even though we don't deserve it or we, don't, we haven't earned it. And it fits us really weird because it's such a big thing, Christ's righteousness. And we've got like this much righteousness in us. But over time, the Christian life, you grow and you mature and you eventually grow into the life that God has called you to live. And you become more and more like Jesus. And we won't be fully like Jesus until the day that our bodies and our minds and our souls are renewed and redeemed and restored. But you are promised by God You are being conformed into the image of His Son. Your sanctification, meaning your holiness or your spiritual growth, it is the process of becoming what God has already declared you to be. You are in Christ now, which means that your life as a Christian means that your your life means growing into that declaration. And it takes time and you will not fully get there until you are face to face with Jesus, but you are called to strive to become what God has already declared you to be. So that sin that you're so entangled in, God looks at you and sees that Jesus defeated it. And he says, that that sin has been defeated in your life. You don't have to be a slave to it anymore. So stop. And that takes time. But over time, you'll become untangled with those sins in your life. Put it this way. When I was in high school, I, I was on a track team. And we were really good. Like we were the best team in the state and we kind of went into the season one year knowing that we had a shot at winning the state championship. And so the first day of practice, my coach says, all right, everybody gather around. We've got team issued t-shirts. These are the shirts that we're going to wear on the bus, wear in the hotel. These are the shirts we're going to wear at the track meets. And he says, this is your team issued t-shirt. Everybody get one. And he opens up the box and they're all blue. Now you go, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, our colors weren't blue where I went to high school. Our colors were black and gold. And it was these bright blue t-shirts that said Scottsboro Track and Field. And we're like, coach, uh, I think they got the wrong color. I think this is supposed to be black. He's like, no, it's supposed to be blue. And we're like, yeah, but that's not our colors. He said, yeah, but that's the color of the first place trophy. (laughs) I know it's arrogant. I know it's cocky. And it was arrogant. We eventually had t-shirts that said state champions pick a year, which were really arrogant. (laughs) We were part of a dynasty. But, um, But we wore these blue shirts to our our track and cross country meets every meet that season. And our opponents, they were like, why are you wearing blue? You guys never wear blue. You wear black and gold. And we said, because we're going to win the state championship this year. Because our coach has already declared that we are state champions. On the first day of practice, he gave us basically championship shirts. And the rest of our season was marked by becoming who Jesus had already declared us to be. We grew into those blue shirts. And he declared us to be state champs, which meant that the meals we ate, the drinks that we drank, the amount of sleep that we got, the morning practices, we ate like champions ate. We slept like champions slept. We drank like champions drank. We trained like champions. Everything we did, we did it as if we were state champions. And we became, spoiler, I mean, not to, we became state champions. We grew into the declaration that our coach had already made of us. 
And this is Christianity. Our life as a Christian is becoming who God has already declared us to be. And He has declared us to be the righteousness of Christ. Through Jesus' death in our place and His resurrection, He has traded His righteousness with our sin and shame. And God now looks on us as if we are Jesus. And He says, you are clean, you are righteous, you are hidden with Christ. Now become what you've already been declared to be. See, Christianity is not about getting better. Christianity is not about being moral. Christianity is about becoming the person that Christ has already said you are. And it's notable that Paul says you're hidden in Christ before he says put to death all sin. That's the very next passage. We need to know, if we want to put sin to death in our lives, we need to first know that it's already been put to death for us. You are hidden in Christ. Now put your sin to death because God has already put your sin to death. Now become what you already are. Overcoming sin, being more generous, loving your neighbors, all the commands of Scripture. These are not ways to show off that you are an outstanding Christian or even a way to make God love you more. These are processes, paths of life that God has given you to grow you into the person He already knows you can be. This is why Paul says, set your mind on things above where Jesus is. Fix your gaze on Him. Take your gaze off of all the things of the world. Make Him central. And as you do that, there's a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I sang it a few weeks ago. (laughs) Not going to do that today. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This is what I want for myself. To stare at Jesus for so long and so intently that the things of earth fade away and I become more and more like Him. And for our church, I pray that we're a church that makes Christ central to all we do so that we would live into our calling as people of God. So that we can be hidden with Jesus and become more like Him. Let's pray.